Welcome to the Evolution Exchange UK podcast, where bringing together the best technical leaders to talk about the industry fashions and challenges they're facing. I'm Damesh Basel from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and I help businesses connect with top tech talent. And today, I'm your host. Today, we're joined by Juliet from Software Alliance, Peter from WageStream, Greg from SpinView, Gustav from Prodigy Finance, and Anchor from Perkbox. During today's podcast, episode two of Bridge to Balance, Cultural Crossroads Within the Modern Tech World, we will discuss creating a dynamic, diverse development culture within hybrid remote working to build the best workplace harmony. Probably best if we start with some introductions around the room. So if you could tell us who you are, what your current role is, and a brief summary of what the team and your company do, that'd be fantastic. So Juliet, would you like to start us off, please? So we're small, um, but we are servicing clients who are global. We have Malaysian, um, South African, Australian, European clients. Um, so yeah, we are we're a small tech company who are delivering a lot on the resources that we have to hand. Um, which is, you know, we, I think we'll come on to come on to it later. One of the benefits of hybrid working. Um, I'm the operational director. I've um, had that role now for three months, so I'm a relative newbie. Um, and my my purpose at the moment is very much looking at um, and governance and our ways of working and our processes. So, you know, the, the way that we work around the hybrid environment is particularly topical to us and how we get a lot from a small team. That's oh, well, me. perfect. Oh, perfect. Thank you very much for that, Juliet. What about yourself, Peter? Yeah, hi. I'm uh, I'm Peter. I'm one of the I'm the CEO and co-founder of WageStream. Um, our primary product allows any worker and frontline worker to get access to their wages as they earn them. So we work with um, you know clients like Asda, Next, Burger King. Um, we have now three million over three million employees that are able to use WageStream technology. We sell it as a benefit through large employers, and they're able to access their earnings, but also. Um, have five percent savings rate, access financial coaches, a whole host of financial benefits. With the the whole remit we have as a a B Corp social impact business is to improve the financial well being of frontline workers in the UK and in the US um, and in Spain because we also operate in Europe. Um, but that's 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 what we're all about. Oh, lovely. What about yourself, Ankur? Hey, um, so my name is Ankur. I'm a chief product and technology officer at Bugbox. Um, Bugbox is a is a platform uh, that enables companies to seamlessly reward, celebrate, and recognize employees anywhere in the world, while also providing the same employees, these same employees, with relevant and uh, contextual benefits and perks. Uh, we serve employees in 117 countries as of now. Um, our vision is to enable companies to align the behaviors of their employees. Uh, with the company's values and purpose. Oh, fantastic. Uh, what about yourself, Greg? Hey there, I'm Greg Roach. I'm the Chief Technology Officer, uh, Head of Innovation, and Product Manager for Acronyms at SpinView. And acronyms means AI, ML, and XR. Um, I've been with the company for about, uh, about five years. And what we do is we create volumetric digital twins, primarily of the as-built environment, but also uh, road and rail. So we work with uh, volumetric data types like point clouds, BIM models, uh, IoT feeds, um, and we bring all of that into a democratized, uh, easy to use, easy to access uh, platform that uh, takes these these data types, you know, primarily visual data types that have typically been siloed inside of organizations. And we want to make those uh, available and accessible to anyone inside of the organization via any thin client, um, allowing uh, organizations to unlock meaning, value, and understanding from these uh, these data. Oh, perfect, perfect. And um, last but not least, Gustav. Hi, guys. Nice to meet you all. My name is Gustav Trinwith. I'm a, a team lead for software development at Prodigy Finance. We are a UK-based uh, fintech company and we enable financing of uh, international postgraduate students 
we would like to attend uh, a top tier university one of the campuses that we support well oh, loves it perfect perfect well yeah just to kick us off greg i know when we've spoke um with your company uh, obviously spinning view they've obviously they've got the uh, base in hub in london um but obviously you've got employees based throughout europe and worldwide obviously besides like time zone being like the major constraint what other like challenges you face in regards to trying to create like a development kind of culture or connecting teams together like for example within the tech teams and commercial teams etc yeah so we're distributed across a variety of locations uh, i'm odd man out here in the states we do have operations here in the states uh but they're primarily uh, sales and and biz dev the mothership is in london in the uk and and so that's where the the bulk of sales biz dev and uh, customer success is located all my devs are in eastern europe in serbia belgrade i have a ukrainian developer uh, and then i also have devs in the far east and in, in india so we cut across a number of time zones uh and a number of uh localities you know, I think the biggest challenge, quite honestly, is really just the time zone factor, finding enough overlap amongst those teams. Uh, and, and then also, you know, uh, along with that, there's there's a subtle kind of ineffable quality to the fact that my day starts when other people's day is ending. And so the energy patterns of individuals might be slightly out of sync. You know, if I've just had a cup of coffee and I'm raring to go and somebody else is, you know, it's five o'clock for them and they're ready for, a, a you know, a beer uh you know the emotional component of that can can be challenging uh and, and then of course you know the other thing is is encouraging um the kind of social presence that's really required for teams to to gel and and develop empathy and and you know to to build uh, conversations and explorations off of those often uh, subtle cues that we get you know beyond just speech so i, I think those are the the primary challenges from my perspective oh perfect perfect um what about yourself gustav i know your business kind of operates a similar model you said you've got half of the team that are based in south africa the others are spread across the world is it a similar kind of challenges that you have or absolutely one of the primary challenges we are dealing with is how do we address the the lack of team building and relationship management in person uh, our team is spread from the us india UK, Europe, and then a couple of people in South Africa. But even those in South Africa don't work in the same physical location. And it re it really does come down to the ability to manage that prioritization and that uh, um, uh, uh, giving the people the um, autonomy to work on their own whilst still trying to cultivate a culture of team building and collaboration. All right. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, can you relate to this, Peter? I mean, I, I know obviously Vertibox are based in London and York in the US. Um, are these some of the kind of the challenges that you're yourself and the team are facing? Or yeah, it's a nightmare. Like remote, <laughs> like having everyone remote is 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 actually really difficult. So I always like you need a plan for it. You need to be able to. You need to have a clear comms plan and a strategy around dealing with the fact that we all live in a world where you know 50 plus percent of all calls are on on zoom and i i agree with greg like we've we've got you know we've got people distributed across the uk people in europe and in, in the us um and you know there's one thing that apart from obviously this amazing group um that is a real challenge on on a video conference is it, there's no emotion um and there's there's a real it's really hard to be creative um and that's that for i think therefore i think it really affects decision making especially in a you know young growth company so having a plan for that and getting people together as much as possible, I think is really important um, simply to build those social interactions, that empathy and get teams working together. I actually think it's, I mean, this is contrary view, but I think anyone that is, is a fully remote business and never meets their coworkers, I think is a recipe for bankruptcy. I think you have to be able to um, have social interaction. Then all your calls, Zoom or Teams or whatever, or your video calls become more meaningful. But I think it is a real challenge and, um, you know, we've gone through, like everyone has, really remote to hybrid to cut, you know, you, everyone's trying to find their way. But there's one thing that remains true, that if you do get people together, you have a plan for those social interactions to happen, um, then actually it really, really does help 
the teams to bond, the people to build respect for their colleagues, to build emotional empathy for their colleagues makes a huge difference to how a culture of a company, but also how a company makes decisions and moves forward, in my opinion. Um, But yeah, I mean, look, we used to be, if you remember, we all used to be at work five days a week in the office. Now, no one's saying that was a good idea either. Um, but the, on the other on the other side of the spectrum, being away from everyone five days a week, sitting in bedrooms probably isn't isn't ideal. And because I'm old, I'm the only one that ever remembers this film, Ice Station Zebra. And if you guys ever remember that, there's a bunch of people caught out in the Arctic, couldn't couldn't get hold of anyone, couldn't get comms with anyone. Well, you want to try and stop anyone becoming Ice Station Zebra because when that happens, it's all over. It wasn't a good ending for the film, but I'm the only one that saw it. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's definitely one I'm looking up now. Yeah, watch it. Watch it. Can I keep saying it. Everyone's like, looks at me with blank faces. <laughs> yeah. I, I've heard of it, but I'm, I'm looking at you with a blank face just to not agree that I'm the same age as you. Um, can I just ask you guys, your your international teams, are they um, outsourced teams or are they part of the organisation? 100% part of the uh, organisation in my, in, in my case. So in, in case of both, both it's, a, it's a mix of both. Um, we have, um, fortunately or unfortunately, we kind of built um, a lot of our product and engineering team while uh, during during the course of pandemic, um, and and we have uh, we have teams we we have offices in in, in three parts of uh, the world. We 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 have our mothership, like Greg said in London, but we have uh, we have an office in Sheffield in, in UK, we have an office in Australia, in Sydney. Uh, but apart from that, we have um, people working uh, from Spain, from Medindrab, from from Bulgaria, and then we have a we have a small team which is outsourced in Romania. Um, uh, what happened because of uh, you know having a lot of these people come on board not not the australian team or the Sheffield team but a lot of these people coming on board during the time of um, covid was that we could uh, set up a way of working for remote um during this um du- during those times which have kind of transcended even when the um, you know people have started coming to office you know once a week twice a week um Simple things like, hey, you know what? When when you are walking engineers through product requirement document, don't just um, do that via Zoom. Also, record that Zoom so that people who are not on the Zoom uh, can can look through the Zoom. If you are not, if you do not just share the product requirement document, uh, also make a loom so that uh, be visual about it. Right? Use a lot more whiteboard. Um, Small things like that. Uh, make sure you have public uh, groups of Slack. Do not share share as less information on the private uh, Slack groups, but share as much information on the public uh, Slack groups. the The idea is to try, you know be as transparent. Uh, try to create this this you know the impression of uh, having. Water cooler conversation on Slack by and not having these private Slack channels where you you would create siloed conversation, and that mm-hmm. has continued to kept on happening even when the uh, you know people even when people started coming. Uh, so now that we have a couple of people in Spain, one person in Bulgaria, another one in Edinburgh, it has helped them. Uh, kept on staying connected with the people who are coming to the office. So I think our experience is it's probably the other end of the spectrum to you guys. You've got large teams, large workforce. We are a um, we're a small, let's say, small tech firm. Um, a lot of our experiences are exactly the same as yours, but there there are other challenges that are almost exacerbated by our size. So, um, you know, the, with 12 people, you can't wait until there is a sense of apathy before you intervene. By the time you you get to that 
level where you can see that people aren't joining in on the Monday morning chat or are maybe dropping out of coming into the office twice a week. It's almost too late. So we've been very conscious, and I can't say that at all that we have we have got this right. There is still um, you know, very much a process of experimenting to try and find the right way of working, which is why I'm just really happy and open to getting new new ideas and experiences. But we have to work very hard at keeping an energy going within a small team. Um, you, you can't rely on um, you know one one functional area just just feeling like it's set loose because there are too few of us to compensate. So sometimes it feels like. The, the efforts that you have to go to feel a little artificial, but you have to do them. So, so Anka, um, similar to what you were saying, um, post-COVID, we were having um, Monday morning and Friday morning just team Zoom chats. Um, and the, the, the aspiration was that we try to force the, the water cooler moments artificially and almost the, the harder you try to create these things artificially, the the less likely you are to achieve them. Um, you so, know, are you fully remote? Is your company fully remote, or do you? No, no, we are. We were during COVID, as as were all of us. We were um, fully remote, and then we are now. And prior to COVID, we were fully present in the office. We are now. Uh, we have a minimum of two days in office. Um, which, you know, whether that's the right number, I don't know, but it's, it's where we've settled at. Um, so it, it is how to create momentum and energy in a small team that are working in a hybrid environment um, without trying too hard. Um, See, so it, it takes, it takes um, a bit of experimentation. It takes... Um, it takes good line management, actually, um, to ensure that, and, and for all of the line management to really understand their responsibility in terms of emotional connection with their reportees it is something that we took for granted when we were all in an office. We, we just didn't have to um, be very conscious of this. But now you have to be conscious of it. And you need to you need to do it in a very um, active manner. It's changed the focus of line management a little bit. Changed the skill set of line management. If you uh, yeah, if, if anybody yeah. has the holy grail on this, then um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, Greg, Greg, Gustav. I mean, your guys are obviously your sorry, your companies are remote first. Um, I mean, what what do you think you guys do? Anything that's different or anything that you've experienced within your current company that you'd like to share with the team that really works for you? Because obviously the companies are obviously doing really well by the sounds of it. And it's just besides it's obviously the obvious time zone constraint. What is it that you guys do differently or like to share yeah, with the team? So while we are remote first, we also have these uh, geographic centers that, that allow for teams to, you know, sub teams, so to speak, to come together on a regular basis. So folks in London get together uh, every few weeks, if not more frequently than that. Um, and my uh, core programming team in Serbia, they get together on, uh, on a monthly basis. So that helps, you know, and I, and I have to concur with what Peter said earlier about the necessity of, you know, that FaceTime in order to build empathy and, and, and understanding. And, and so we are a little bit of a hybrid when it, when it comes to that aspect of things. Um, but I also agree with Juliet about, you know, this, we, we've tried to do all sorts of things in the past, like pub quizzes on Fridays, you know, things, things like that in order to build a little, you know, a slightly more sense of a greater sense of cohesion across uh, all of the geographies and they've been they've been hit or miss you know and and uh, i'm also i empathize with juliet's situation around uh, sort of the critical mass of a team you know and, and with smaller teams that that's it's probably more difficult more challenging in order to achieve that sense of of critical mass where the the cohesion and, and the interactions are, are functioning a little more organically if you will um, but I also wonder, you know, to what extent is 
the nature of the business component of this. Um, no offense to Juliet at all, but if you know it's actuarial software, I mean that's that's a, that's a pretty specialized and and sort of narrow you know uh, field. Uh, I mean that's just rude, Greg. you're absolutely right it's um we are a niche industry but it turns out is huge it is it's it's a peculiarity um and i've come from outside the life insurance industry and i haven't fully appreciated quite how peculiar and particular the life insurance industry is and then when you go into that again actuarial role is um it is so highly regulated it's so specific so i i i agree with you it's um it, it, yeah there, there are nuances to our industry but at the end of the day we are a, we are primarily a software company operating within this niche world so we do very much it's one of our usps against our competitors who are usually owned by life insurance companies we are the only um, actuarial modeling platform that is um is purely a software company and so it does mean that we we try to operate along those lines along the tech lines um, you know, just in terms of our, um, yeah, in terms of our ways of working, we we try to align ourselves as a tech firm, and that keeps us sane. Let's just put it that right, way. Right, right, right. Well, I know that even in in for us, you know, I face similar kinds of challenges. And, and on the surface, you go, oh, you know, we have a virtual reality application, and we're working with, you know, AI and, and volumetric digital twins. It seems like it should be, you know, uh, sexy and, and, you know, an appealing kind of domain for people to immerse themselves in. And that then becomes one of the engines, you know, for that, that team cohesion. Um, and, and so even in, in our realm, those are, those are challenging considerations, you know, and, and so did not mean to cast dispersions on the world of uh, wow. actuarials. So. Outrageous, Greg, outrageous. I do think like, we, we, we had the same thing that what, that what Juliet was, you know, the pub quiz is great, but by your third pub quiz it starts to become a little fatiguing for everyone. So you've, you've, that's what I mean when you've got to work on it. You need to keep coming up with creative ways to get people together. I mean, when 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 lockdown ended, this seems like years ago now. Seems like we're all at war, and then, but the we 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 actually said to everyone, if you come back in the office three days a week, you get a ten percent bonus of your salary, just to force people to sort of come back in uh, with with a monetary incentive. Uh, and it, obviously, we don't do that anymore; couldn't afford it anymore. But the 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 point was that it made people get together, and I think over time when people have social connections they actually want to spend time with their colleagues it's no longer forced um you have to do some forcing things but actually over time when people actually start to like the people they work with or respect the people they work with actually becomes a lot less of a a challenge and people look forward to those social events which we continue to do we'll do all sorts um a way stream to try and um get people back in um and once one get the whole company together so you just like you just gotta i think keep being creative with it because it does you know, if you keep doing the same things, it is, it's a real challenge. We went through all that of trying to do those sort of chats every week and stuff. And they just, they work for a couple of weeks and they all, it's like an all hands. You've got to keep changing the format to keep it engaging and interesting. Otherwise, it all falls apart. I, I think my observation on that is, that, again, the, the, the difference between, you know, pre-COVID office-based life is that everybody needs to be bought in to the fact that it is their responsibility to contribute. And and when you're working remotely, it is conscious. It is when you're in the office, your presence is, it 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 becomes, it's a very natural process. But when working remotely, it can't just be the responsibility of our CEO. It's not just my responsibility or the line manager's responsibility. Every person has to acknowledge that they are responsible for contributing actively to the cultural and working environment. And I think that that needs to be explicitly laid out, unfortunately. Um, I think just to to presume that that happens um, isn't enough. It needs to be laid bare that 
everybody. You know, if we're on a, a Monday morning call, um, not everyone is feeling peppy. So fine, you know, just everybody needs to compensate and contribute and not sit back and be a uh, just a pure observer. I absolutely agree with Juliet on that one. One of the, the things that become so easy in remote work is for a person to just not be visible. Um, especially software developers, they can be so passionate about what they do. And when they're passionate, that's fantastic because usually they interact, they talk, they, they make their opinions known. But it's at the same time so easy for the, the other guys in the team to just then hide behind this person's persona and just do the bare minimum. And to get them to buy in and be passionate about what they want to do and be part of the team and drive the culture of the team is so, such a difficult challenge. You know, and it's, and it's one that I, I don't think there's a clear answer for it because especially in multicultural teams, every person is different. The, the way they perceive communication and problems and their culture, uh, you know, for line managers to be able to connect those people and find common ground for them to get behind it. And, and buy in, that's that's the real challenge we're dealing with. So is there now then a skill set on top of leadership skills, which is managing remote teams? It, it's, a, it's a subset within a, if you're recruiting for, for managers, that in itself is a, is a whole set of skills. 100%. Yeah, you yeah. should interview for that as well and look for examples, look for references of people that are available to effectively manage like, hybrid remote teams, 100%. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and, you know, Gustav touched on something that I think is, is pretty critical, actually, and that's the cultural difference amongst these teams. You know, so, for instance, my coders are almost all Serbian. And and I've, I've been with the company more than than five years now. And and when I first started to interact with those teams as an American, I was like, dang, well, that was rude, you know. Uh, and 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 over time, I've come to appreciate and understand the cultural basis through which they approach so many situations, or how they deal with problem solving, or in particular how they deal with sort of you know interpersonal considerations. I mean, they can they can be pretty bare knuckled uh, with one another at, at times. And as an American, I'd clutch my pearls. Oh, oh my goodness, you know. Uh, but it's like, hey, that's just how they roll, you know. Um, and 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 that's a, again, that's one of those, if you will, sort of ineffable qualities that this may be lurking beneath the surface. We don't always acknowledge that. And also, in terms of you know the the current world of political correctness, that could be a little bit of a minefield. You know, so I think you have to kind of step gingerly around some of those issues. But but I think we have to acknowledge that there's a ground truth there um, and, and at least be cognizant of it. You know, so. I think it's sorry, go on, Julia. No, sorry, carry on. Just one of the, the, the um, observations I just sort of scribbled down was the implications on young people coming into um, hybrid working environment. Obviously, tech industry. Pretty, you know, it, it has got a large portion of youth, younger workers, um, and how do they feel about a hybrid or entirely remote working environment? I mean, how how have you found recruiting into a completely remote environment? Has is it? Do you find it easy, or do you do you find people who are put off by it being fully remote? Speaking for myself, I, I was uh, interviewing a candidate not long ago, and one of their first questions was, "Is there an opportunity for, uh, you know, uh, hybrid interactions?" They they did not want a fully remote environment. I mean, I think, and you also raise an interesting point, uh, Juliet. Not unlike the the cultural distinctions, there are generational distinctions. Yes. Yeah. You know? Um, Peter and myself, knowing what I station zebra, <laughs> zebra is, uh, you know, we're, we're maybe zebra zebra. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, I also think that the younger cadre of, uh, or the younger younger co cohort of uh, engineers, um, they, they probably have a greater expectation around remote, um, and and would prefer it. You know, I mean, I'll be honest, I prefer it. Uh, I, I, I really, really do, um, although not, you know, to the exclusion of, of everything else. Um, 
So, you know, the, those generational components and, and the um, geographic or the, the, the cultural components, I think are things that we have to, to acknowledge. Um, but yeah, I did do to your direct question, Julia, I did recently interview somebody that they didn't want a fully remote opportunity at a minimum. Did they wanted you, a hybrid. Do you guys, cause we, we went through a phase of recruiting remotely and now we, we, we won't do like part of our recruitment processes. You have to have an in-person interview. Um, because we just were we were unable to assess people effectively unless we actually saw them in person. It's probably a fault on our part. I'm not saying it's unachievable, but we just felt we didn't hire the right sort of people when we were doing it fully remote. I don't know if Zoom's got teams has got some I'm a good candidate filter on the people press or something, but we just ended up hiring people that weren't a great fit for us as a culture. So I think we've been we've learned that we we have to be a lot more you know, a lot more uh, blatant about expectation setting in the interview process as well. A, you're coming in for an interview. B, if you want to be fully remote, there's other companies that will welcome you, probably not us. And C, you know, just setting expectations around time and office. And, and then you, we end up getting people that actually do want to have a, have a bit of interaction and a bit of um, time with their colleagues. And I think the more that people do that, the more that it's it actually they they prefer working we you know they have a better they have a better you know they have a better enjoyment of of work life if if there is a if there is a balance that sort of suits them as well i think um i just it's a real challenge yeah i would doubt anybody who says that they can do uh, a recruitment process entirely remotely effectively to Anchor's point, uh, right back at the beginning, there is too much that's non-verbal um, that you miss out on. You know, that's it's one of the the problems in the whole Zoom environment that it, it just demonstrates how much we convey without words. And you absolutely, a hundred percent, need to take that into consideration when you're interviewing people. I completely agree with you, Juliet. But being devil's advocate, I do come from an environment where we do hire completely remotely. However, I found that number one, we have to be extremely deliberate and over communicate what our expectations are. And in every interview, our interview process is actually quite extensive because of the remoteness. So a candidate would go through five or six interviews with probably 10 to 12 different people. And every interview, the people afterwards would write their opinion, their perspectives, what they thought. And only if the entire board is happy with the candidate, do they get hired. And I'm presuming that that's been a successful process. It sounds intensely laborious. Just a challenge to that process. If you, some of that were to be in person, could you shorten that recruitment cycle? I'm being devil's advocate. You could probably, but myself as well, I was interviewed and I started working for the company and only five months later did I meet my first colleague in person. And the, the going through the five or six interviews for me was actually very enjoyable because I don't know anything about the company and I don't know the people. So I had, as a as a candidate interviewing the company as well, I had the opportunity to ask all the right questions, talk to different people, not get the party line, but try, you know, get the perception that I'm getting a true perspective on how it is to work for the company, what culture they like, the, you know, those kind of things. So, like I said, unfortunately, it's a it's a longer process. You know. And is it is it a geographical necessity that you um, use that process, or is it now purely by choice that you do it? I think it has become a necessity, uh, especially where most of our clients come from. We try to hire people in that region, and it's just one of those things. Then, so our, oh, well. our hiring process, as well as is is remote. Uh, I mean, we don't force people, if they want to come to office, they, they are more, more than welcome to come to office, you know, but uh, we don't force them to come to office um, as part of the interview process, but it's short. It's uh, it's not more than three rounds of interviews. Um, and just, just to, I don't know, success is subjective, right? Success is dependent on who you speak to. But if I have to give um, a track record, we haven't had an attrition in last 12 months in our product and engineering team. 
um, if that is to be a measure of uh, success. Um, I think, you know, what Peter was saying, the, the key is to be very explicit and very um, uh, very direct about what, what you want in, in the candidate. If you want in the candidate to be present and 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 to read through the non-verbal cues, then you have to ask them to come to the office, right? In our case, yes, we want uh, them to be over-communicated, but we believe that in our interview process by hit and trial, we have figured out how to be over-communicated during the three round of interviews. Um, but that has to be, you know, we try to figure out whether this person, how, how would they function as part of a team? And uh, and you know we try to assess them on some few clear tenets which we have agreed upon as part of the team. Um, the process is very similar to what Gustav says. You know the three round of interview happen um, with different people. Uh, everybody writes their comment. We do not do a consensus based hiring. We do a collaboration based hiring, which is you know eventually uh, the hiring manager can override. Uh, the the decision of someone who they believe uh, does not have a final say in the hiring, uh, but you know, it's I think the the overriding the meta factor is that you have to be really really explicit and you have to go through a lot of candidates to to get to the right person. You have to be ready for that, right? No matter whether you invite them to the office or not. Uh, I- Anchor, that word explicit, funnily enough, I've had conversations today where that has just popped up so many times. And I, I think it is it is one of those essentials in this environment now that I, I think we probably did mention it before, but this requirement for communication to be absolutely explicit. There is there's just no room for nuance or um, or just gentle suggestion. If something, if, if you want something done, if you're unhappy about something, if you want to praise some for somebody, it has to be explicit. And again, this is one of the the changing skills that um, that we've become aware of. That in terms of business communications, it's so important now. That just it's the ability to communicate with clarity. And explicity is 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 very important. And, it, and here's a tip: if you want people to come into the office, let me tell you, Monday is the best possible commuting day because no one else is doing it. I get on a train; it's like the royal carriage. There's no one else on there. Steam into London, no traffic. Beautiful. Tuesday nightmare. Monday. <laughs> <laughs> but just going back to the recruitment process, um, one of the the real benefits for us in fully adopting a hybrid model now. Being a small company, we can't compete against the you know big um, big tech firms who have deep pockets. We have to be able to offer something else, and so we, by offering the hybrid um, working environment, we open up our recruitment um, geography. You know, we have um, our CEO comes in from Nottingham. We've got people coming in from Somerset, from the south coast in the UK. It it has made um, it has made that we can um, target people who aren't just home counties, um, and also just from my own giving my own background, I um, had a long uh, career gap, so I was out of um, working environment for quite a while. Um, in order to come back into the working environment, it needed to be hybrid. It needed to be um, flexible. Prior to COVID, this was nigh on impossible to find. Post COVID, where with this, you know, the hybrid, um, this understanding that, that we have different ways that we can work and that we can make make it work. Nobody's worrying about presenteeism, that presenteeism equals productivity. We, we've broken that connection now. And it has meant that our, um, our pool of recruits 
is much larger than it would be pre-COVID, but not specific to the tech environment, obviously. But it's um, you know, it, it's uh, it's the another benefit. Yeah, we we have seen the similar um, you know dynamics playing out in the tech environment. It, it's a, it's a function of supply, right? Mm. You can open the supply if you want to. Interested, interested. So, Uncle, a perk box there. I know you've got um, 40 plus employees within like the product engineering teams. And obviously, you've got employees based in like UK, Australia, France. I think it was it over 115 countries uh, that you're present in. I mean, how, how do you manage that kind of workplace kind of diversity and that um, keeping employees engaged? And how, how do you do that? So, so we serve employees in 117 countries. Um, we have um, employees in perhaps um, seven or eight countries now. Uh, the, the challenge is essentially, you know, what uh, you know, Greg Augustar was was telling in the beginning. Uh, I think one of the thing what what we have been really good at is that we. We have documented a lot of stuff in the in the beginning when we started getting people on board as hybrid, as um, in fact as remote during during COVID. We 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 explicitly started writing what would be our way of working, what would be our way of working as remote, as as a remote organization. So we started laying out what would be our tenets. Uh, we started laying out um, how would a product manager operate. Uh, in this environment, how would an engineer work? We started laying out how would an uh, engineer work within with a commercial organization? How can they join calls with the CS team, with the sales team? Uh, because one of the chal- challenges which we were facing at that point in time were um, that a lot of engineers were not didn't really understand the challenges which the sales team were facing. So we, we started unblocking that, not just culturally but also by putting that down on the paper and uh, that kind of uh, we made sure that even when you know we we came back and now we are hybrid office uh people come you know twice a week to office um for the remote employees and even for the people who are coming back to the office those tenants have not been uh let go so, so all the CS calls are still available for engineers. They still jump on a call with the sales people, with the CS people to uh, resolve, you know, customer problems. To hear the the feedback loops. Uh, so the this is essentially the the key. The key is to make sure that you know how do you function as a team together. How do you actually help people cross collaborate amongst the team? I think that is something, and you at the end of the day, what what I've realized is that everybody wants to have a vertical learning challenge. They want to keep learning new stuff so that they don't feel bored, no matter whether they are working from home or office. And that's that's what we keep pushing for. I think that's a really important point of ensuring that career progression doesn't get waylaid or hampered by a change in working environment. Yeah, and, and the learning and the career progression need not to be vertical. It can be horizontal. Mm. You know, just just learning about the different kind of customer problem um, and you know, giving them enough autonomy to solve it by themselves. It need not to come via the backlog of a product manager. Engineers can solve it by themselves if they think um, they can do it better than any product manager. Interesting, interesting. Is this something that you're doing at the moment, Greg? I know you're doing interviews at the moment for another role, but do you talk about like long-term career progression, like roadmap, stuff like that, to try and determine the right kind of employee for your team? Or No, yeah, absolutely. In, in particular, with my role as head of innovation, that's one of the things that I, I look for is, uh, you know, is, is there a, a, a thread of endeavor or, or interest um, you know, AI, ML, XR, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, is there a spark in that person that's outside the core requirements of you know full stack node, whatever the, the case may be? Um, 
you know, because I'm I'm always looking to bring uh, threads of innovation into the company, and I need the ability to anchor that around specific people. And mm-hmm. you know, we're not a big company; uh, we're still technically a startup. We're we're pre Series A, so I don't have the luxury of saying, "All right, well, here's my machine learning team, for instance. Here's my data scientist." And so I need to be able to kind of steal cycles in a way, if you will. And, and so I, I need people that have got that, that, uh, you know, that sense of simpatico with, with certain, you know, areas or, or certain topics. Um, but I also wanted to touch on a couple of things that, that I, I, Anchor just said. One is around process. We recently got ISO certified in three domains, and I forget what they are, 27,001, 1900, and there, there's, a, there's another one. And that, that was a fascinating process uh, or, or a fascinating experience. You know, initially we went into it with just with a huge amount of trepidation. And the internal team that, that shepherded us through that ISO certification process did a phenomenal job. But one of the things that we learned along the way was we already had so many of those processes in place. Um, and, and so, the, you know, the, the idea of processes that are defined, that are communicated, that are adhered to, you know, that structure, that, that framework, I think, is, is a critical component of success, regardless of, of ISO. I mean, in our world, that's a, a real you know, benefit. It's probably not appropriate for uh, a number of organizations, but, but conceptually, you know, anchoring everything in, in a process, uh, you know, based kind of workflow, if you will. Um, is, uh, is, is I think really important. And then one of the other things is because we, um, uh, we are, uh, agile and, you know, one of the, the tenets of, of agile is the idea that engineers listen to customers. Now we don't have the luxury currently of, of being able to sit down and have an engineer speak directly to a customer. Only on rare occasions does that happen. But what we're always looking to do is to create dialogue between sales, between customer success, engineering, UX, product design. You know, because ultimately what what we want is a very human centric, as it's referred to, uh, design and solution process. We want to know what's the real world problem that people are struggling with. How can our platform, how can our tools solve that problem? You know, and, and so the core of that, it gets back to the idea of, of empathy. We need empathy in, inside of our teams for our co-workers. We need empathy between teams, you know, so that, that uh, the tech team has empathy for the struggles of sales and sales has empathy for the struggles of, of tech. But as an organization, we need empathy with our customers, you know, and, and in particular for, for the engineering staff, you know, for them to, to get a sense of, oh, here's a pain point that someone deals with in their real life, you know, uh, that resonates with me. Here's a solution for that, that pain point. That, I think, is, is a really, really important thing. And so that's one of the pieces that they were always working to engender. So that's something like, that we, sorry, Gustav, you carry on. Sorry, I just, actually, I, I like to touch on what Greg said there. It's so important to be customer centric. But what I found in our organization, we're a bigger organization with over 300 employees, the, the importance of clear and transparent communication, because because the developers don't deal directly with the customer, it becomes so easy for confusion to come in the process. And then by the time the request gets to the developer as to a problem that the customer has, if the right questions aren't being asked and the why behind the request isn't translated to the engineer correctly, the engineer goes off and he builds what he thinks is the best solution for the problem. And after presenting the solution, it comes to light, but that's not gonna solve the problem because that's not the problem. And that's where we need yet again, to be deliberate about our communication and ensure that we connect the right people and make sure that what we're telling our people to do is actually what we want them to do and allow the experts then to go off and build the best solutions. I, I don't think that that is a, an issue that is purely for large organizations either because we, as a small company moving into this, post-COVID moving into this hybrid environment, um, 
we started becoming guilty of stone functional stovepiping as well. And it took this this conscious kind of acknowledgement of there is disconnect. You know, we all need to be a very make a very conscious acknowledgement that we are communally um, accountable for this company's goals. But our goals are very visible. Um, and whether you're a dev, um, a tester, or you know the product manager, you we are all a part of. You know, we play a part in actually the, the achievement of our sales goals. This isn't just all on the salesperson's shoulders. We're all accountable. And if you at the front of it don't understand the user requirements at the end of it, then there is a disconnect. So I, we we had to consciously um, look to ways to ensure that that communication and that communal accountability was there. Um, and and, and you know, we, we've done training. Um, Greg, you'll love this. I'll, I'll send you the, uh, the pack. The um, education process on the life insurance industry, the actuarial modeling industry. So as part of our induction process, it became quite important to really help people understand this weird world that we are a part of to make sure these devs, that when they're putting something together, they know the nuances and the highly regulated environment that this end user is going to be in. So it it wasn't something that happened naturally. We had to force that communication, but by forcing it, it's a much better operating model. But bedtime reading for Greg. Exactly. Oh, I'm sending it. Don't Looking worry. Looking forward to that, Juliet. Definitely. <laughs> you got your work cut out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Netflix. Read about actuaries. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's been a really great conversation. I can't believe an hour is pretty much passed away, passed by. Sorry, and um, hopefully we can all take something away from this, either to continue, stop, or uh, maybe implement uh, in the future going forward. Before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thanks so much to all our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. Once again, our guests on today's podcast have been. Juliet from Software Reliance, Peter from Wastestream, Greg from Spinview, Gustav from Prodigy Finance, and Anchor from Perkbox. If you're hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured in a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I'm Dharmesh Patel, and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at dharmesh.patel at evolutionjobs.co.uk. Thanks again to all our guests, and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.